Lesson 9 for February 25 through to March 3. The Holy Spirit and the Church. Sabbath afternoon, February 25. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that on the Sabbath we can come to study your word again. And this week, as we start the study on the Holy Spirit and its relationship to the Church, we pray that we may be guided as we open your word page by page and see you there. We pray that our insight and our love for Jesus will be increased. We pray in his dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 to 5. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Let's read that again, Ephesians 4, verses 3 to 5. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Sometimes we think of the Holy Spirit at work only on the individual level in the lives of individual believers. But this work in individuals is the foundation of a spiritual community. The Holy Spirit is ultimately responsible for the existence of the Church of Christ. We are often tempted to think that the Church exists and grows because of our various evangelistic and missionary activities. Yes, God wants to achieve His glorious plans for the Church, and to do so with our help. But the real reason for the Church lies not in what we do, nor is it the result of our efficient organization and effective administration, however important these are. The Church exists because of what God has already done and continues to do for us through the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who creates a spiritual community and fellowship that has the written Word of God inspired by the same Spirit as its authority for faith and practice. The Spirit-inspired Bible is the foundation for the theological unity of the Church. Without the work of the Spirit, the Church would not exist and could not continue to fulfil its united mission. Sunday, February 26, the Holy Spirit unites us with Christ. The Holy Spirit unites us in manifold ways. We would not exist as a church if the Holy Spirit did not first unite us with Christ. Christ is the head of the church, as we read in Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 and 5, 23. Let's begin in chapter 1, verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And Ephesians 5.23, For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Through the Holy Spirit, we are effectually united to Christ himself. Being united with Christ is the foundation of all the blessings of salvation, because all we have in the Lord comes from Him. 
Our adoption as sons and daughters of Christ, our justification as well as our sanctification, our living a victorious life over sin, and our final glorification are all received through our union with Christ. Thus, he must be the foundation to our entire Christian experience. Question. Read Ephesians chapter 2 verses 18 and 20 to 22 and 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 6 and 7. What do they tell us about the role of Christ and the Holy Spirit in the creation of the church? First of all, Ephesians 2 and verse 18. For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. And verses 20 to 22, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And First Peter chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Through the Spirit we have access to God the Father. Jesus is the rock, the foundation of our salvation, and the one on whom all other parts of the whole building are erected. The work of the Spirit on the individual level then leads to a specific community of faith, the Church. When we have experienced salvation through faith in Christ Jesus alone, and have been touched by the love of God, there is a sweet, as it describes in 2 Corinthians 13:14, fellowship of the Holy Spirit in the Church. Individual believers are being built into a new spiritual house of God, as it says in Ephesians 2.22, in the Spirit. As followers of Christ, we should be eager, as it says in Ephesians 4.3, to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In every way possible, without compromising what cannot be compromised, we need to seek for unity in the fellowship of believers. And so, to finish today, read Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. How can we exemplify these attributes and contribute to unity in the church? Why are these attributes so crucial to the unity of the church? Monday, February 27, the Holy Spirit unites us through baptism. Question, read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. How does baptism unite us with Christ and with the Spirit? 
1 Corinthians 12.13 For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who unites us into one body of believers. The public entrance into Christ's spiritual kingdom is through baptism. We are baptized into a specific church body. Thus, baptism has a distinct communal dimension and important communal implications. As followers of Christ, we cannot live by ourselves. We all need the support, encouragement and help of others. And we certainly cannot fulfill the divine mission alone. That is why God has created the church. To follow Christ means following Him in the fellowship of other believers. Thus, baptism and the church have a visible component to them. Question. Read Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through to 7. What is symbolized through biblical baptism? Romans 6, beginning at verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For, if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. The act of being buried with Jesus Christ through baptism into death in the watery grave and being raised to new life in fellowship with Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, represents the crucifixion of the old life and the public confession of accepting Christ as our Saviour. As Ellen White writes in the Seventh Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 6, page 1074, Baptism is a most solemn renunciation of the world. Self is by profession dead to a life of sin. The waters cover the candidate, and in the presence of the whole heavenly universe, the mutual pledge is made. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, man is laid in his watery grave, buried with Christ in baptism, and raised from the water to live the new life of loyalty to God. End of quote. Baptism is a positive step with which all who wish to be acknowledged as under the authority of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit must comply. In other words, baptism marks true repentance, the crucifixion of the old life, and it signals the new birth on conversion. It also encompasses mutual covenant obligations. The believer promises to be faithful to God and His commandments, and God guarantees that we can depend on His help whenever we need it. So, to finish today, have you made a decision for believer's baptism? If not, what hinders you from following Christ in baptism? If you have been baptized by immersion, how has your baptismal covenant impacted your spiritual walk with Jesus? Tuesday, February 28. 
The Holy Spirit unites the church through the word of God. Question. Read Acts chapter 17 verse 11 and John 5:39, 46 and 47 and John 8:31 and 32. What is a distinguishing mark of a true disciple of Christ? Why is the Bible so indispensable to pointing us to Christ and in helping us to follow him faithfully? First of all, Acts chapter 17 verse 11. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. And John chapter 5 and verse 39, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. And verses 46 and 47, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The primary means by which the Holy Spirit unites us with Christ is through the written word of God. The Bible is a trustworthy source for knowing Jesus and the will of God. That is why reading scripture and memorizing its content is so important. The Bible is the authoritative source for discerning spiritual truth and error. Paul commended the Bereans as noble-minded in Acts chapter 17 verse 11 because they diligently studied and searched the scriptures in order to find out if what they heard was true. Any reformation and spiritual revival, no matter whether it affects us individually or as a church corporately, must be based on the scripture. The Bible is the foundation on which our faith is built. Meanwhile, the love of Jesus and for his written word is the bond that keeps us together. Question. Read John 17, verses 17 to 21. Here Jesus speaks about unity as a distinguishing mark of Christian discipleship. According to John 17, 17, the first verse, what is the basis for this unity? John 17, verse 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. The word of God is truth, as we read in John 17, 17. Psalm 119, verse 160 says, The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. The unity of the church is the work of the Spirit with and through the written word of God. The Holy Spirit will never lead us to doubt, criticize, go beyond or fall short of Bible teaching. Instead, he makes us appreciate the divine authority of Scripture. The Holy Spirit never draws us away from the written word any more than from the living word. Instead, he keeps us in constant, conscious and willing submission to both. The Bible is the foundational source for any theological unity worldwide. 
Were we to lessen or weaken our implicit belief in the Bible as God's word of truth to us, the unity of the church would be destroyed. So to finish the day, how much time do you spend in the word? More important, how can you learn to submit to its teachings? Wednesday, March 1, the Holy Spirit unites the church in faith and doctrine. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 reads, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Question. What is Paul telling us here about unity and where it comes from? Unity in faith and doctrine is accomplished only in faithfulness to the Word of God. The Lord, who is the same yesterday, today and forever, forms a spiritual bond with every believer. The same new birth generated by the Holy Spirit, the same obedience to the Word of God, enabled by the Holy Spirit, leads to a unity of faith and practice that transcends all human and cultural differences. While we are called to submit to the Word of God and do everything we can to maintain peace with everyone, we ultimately cannot bring about theological unity or unity of purpose as a church body. Romans 12 verse 18 reads, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. For unity is not so much a work to be achieved, but a gift of the Holy Spirit, who works on each believer individually and on the church corporately. The theological foundation of this unity is the Word of God. Any appeal to the Spirit without the written Word can lead to suspect doctrines and practices. At the same time, any appeal to the written word of God without the Holy Spirit dries up the word and makes it barren. Because there is only one Lord, there is only one faith that leads to one baptism. Only in joyful faithfulness to the word of God will we be able to see unity within our church. And if there is no unity in faith and doctrine, there will be no unity in mission. Ellen White writes in Our High Calling, page 171, We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. The gospel of Christ is to reach all nations, all classes, all tongues and people. The influence of the gospel is to unite in one great brotherhood. We have only one model that we are to imitate in character building, and then we shall all have Christ's mould. We shall be in perfect harmony, Nationalities will blend in Jesus Christ, having the same mind and the same judgment, speaking the same things, and with one mouth, glorifying God. So to finish the day, look at the Ellen White statement above, not worrying about others and what others do, but about yourself. Ask, what can I do to help reach this wonderful goal of unity?
Thursday, March 2. The Holy Spirit unites the Church in mission and service. Question. Read Acts chapter 2, verses 4 to 11 and verses 16 to 21. What was the result of the Holy Spirit's being poured out on the New Testament believers? Acts 2, beginning at verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because every one heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marvelled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each in our own language, in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. And then, beginning at verse 16 in Acts chapter 2, But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapour of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved." the Holy Spirit was responsible for the most powerful missionary outreach that history had witnessed to that point. God can do more through a small group that is united in their devotion to Him than He can through a large group divided in their loyalties. But God can do even greater things when we all have devoted our lives and our energies, our talents and our resources to Him. Out of the unity in life and mission of the believers grew the New Testament church. A small and timid group of believers was changed into a powerful troop that became an effective tool that reached people from many different cultures and languages. They were united in proclaiming the mighty deeds of God, as we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 11. The same God who was active in New Testament times will continue to be active at the end of time when the work needs to be finished before he comes again. Question. Read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. In what other things were the New Testament believers united? Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those 
who were being saved. The Pentecost mission enterprise was accomplished by a number of other factors where the early church stood united. They were united in Bible study and continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, as it said in verse 42. They were united in fellowship and the breaking of bread, possibly a reference to united worship in verse 42. They were united in prayer in the same verse, in praising God in verse 47. They were united in serving those in need when they freely shared what they possessed and had all things in common in verses 44 and 45. United Bible study and fellowship will result in the desire to share the good news with others and to help others in very practical ways. The Holy Spirit will open our eyes to the needs of those around us. And so to finish today, what activities in your local church help to reveal the unity of your church? What more could be done? Friday, March 3. From the book Selected Messages, Book 1, page 186, we read, This is the work in which we also are to be engaged. Instead of living in expectation of some special season of excitement, we are wisely to improve present opportunities, doing that which must be done in order that souls may be saved. Instead of exhausting the powers of our mind in speculations in regard to the times and seasons which the Lord has placed in his own power and withheld from men, we are to yield ourselves to the control of the Holy Spirit, to do present duties, to give the bread of life unadulterated with human opinions to souls who are perishing for the truth. And from Book 3, page 20 and 21, Every individual is striving to become a centre of influence, and until God works for his people, they will not see that subordination to God as the only safety for any soul. His transforming grace upon human hearts will lead to unity that has not yet been realised. For all who are assimilated to Christ will be in harmony with one another. The Holy Spirit will create unity. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. 1. What does Ellen White mean when she says that every individual is striving to become a centre of influence? Why is that such a natural tendency of all of us, and what can we do to fight this tendency in our own lives? Uh, let's look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And question 2. Some argue that what will really unite us is service, not doctrine. In fact, they argue that doctrine tends to divide people. Thus, it should not be made prominent. But why can't there be unity in mission and service if there is division in doctrine? Why is a commonly shared faith a powerful factor for united and effective mission? Question 3. At the same time, how much room is there for theological differences? Few people are going to understand truth in the same way. 
How can we be united as a church while at the same time allowing for minor differences that will arise? How do people in your local church deal with differences in understanding and yet still maintain unity? 4. How can the Bible be an instrument that will bring unity? What attitude is needed in our study of the Word of God so that we can be united as a church in mission and in faith? Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled Newspaper Ad Part 2. It's the continuation of the story we started last week. Kim met some Christians who introduced him to a church. He attended the worship services and enjoyed the music, but in time Kim realised that the worship services were more about experience and feelings than about reason and logic. He yearned for something more, something to satisfy his mind as well as his spirit. He wondered whether he would always be searching and never really finding. Then Kim found the newspaper ad. He decided to attend the Bible study meeting. Perhaps there would be something to find there with answers, the answers he was looking for. Kim was amazed at what he learned through the Bible study. He never realized the depth of God's love and the plan of salvation. He continued to attend and built his life on the truths he was learning. He discarded the twisted philosophies that had clouded his understanding of God. Kim realized that God was not only logical, but the author of perfect logic and meaning. His spiritual life grew as he studied for himself God's great truths. Kim shared small bits of what he was learning with his family. They listened politely, but he could tell that they weren't really interested. Kim has kept sharing, hoping that his family will eventually accept his faith in God, just as they accepted his principles of healthful living. Eight months after Kim found the newspaper ad, he was baptised into Christ and joined the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Kim is learning how to share his faith with others, and how to find answers to his personal questions in the Bible. He enjoys sharing with others the truths he has come to love and wants to help others find God as he has. He hosts a weekly dinner and Bible study that 10 to 12 people attend. The church in Denmark is small and few are interested in religion, but Kim wants to help the church grow. He continues to share bits of truth and testimony with his family, hoping that one day they will come to know Jesus as he has. Denmark is a small country made up of a peninsula and almost 500 islands. It lies south of Norway and Sweden. It's a wealthy and modern nation. And as in most European countries, its people have lost their sense of need for God. This quarter, a portion of your 13th Sabbath offering will help to build an international evangelistic youth centre in Oslo, Norway. To learn more about this, visit www.adventistmission.org slash mission quarterlies. Have a great Sabbath. This lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel.
Remember, God is always faithful.